Hello, lady apes, gentle apes, robot apes, alien apes, hologram apes, projection apes, and any ape in between any of those. Welcome to CrayonCast. This is a podcast by apes for apes, where several volunteering apes translate the due diligence crayon notes of other apes into audio format for those of us who don't know how to read. Your hosts are myself, Pickle Rick, Wipe with Wipes, Scalpel User, Breck the Poet, and Mid-Century Birdhouse. Before we get started, I must state that this content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other materials, legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in our content constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by the hosts or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or in any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful. Reading today's episode, A House of Cards, Part 1 by Atabit, is Scalpel User. Scalpel User here. No, it's not a fetish. You can find me on Twitter at ScalpelU, like a university, or on Twitch at ScalpelUser, all one word. Cheers, guys, and thanks! A House of Cards, Part 1, written by you slash Adobit for the r slash Superstonk subreddit on April 21st, 2021. Too long, didn't read. The DTC has been taken over by big money. They transitioned from a manual to a computerized ledger system in the 80s, and it played a significant role in the 1987 market crash. In 2003, several issuers with the DTC wanted to remove their securities from the DTC's deposit account because the DTC's participants were naked short-selling their securities. Turns out, they were right. The DTC and its participants have created a market-sized naked short-selling scheme, all of this is made possible by the DTC's enrollee, CD and Co. Holy shit. The events we are living through right now are the 50-year ripple effects of stock market evolution. From the birth of the DTC to the cesspool we currently find ourselves in, this DD will illustrate just how fragile the House of Cards has become. We've been warned so many times. We've made the mistakes so many times. And we never seem to learn from them. In case you've been living under a rock for the past few months, the DTCC has been proposing a boatload of rule changes to help better monitor their participants' exposure. If you don't already know, the DTCC stands for Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation and is broken into the following primary subsidiaries. The Depository Trust Company, DTC, centralized clearing agency that makes sure grandma gets her stonks and the broker receives grandma's tendies. National Securities Clearing Corporation, NSCC, provides clearing, settlement, risk management, and central counterparty, CCP, services to its members for broker-to-broker trades. Fixed Income Clearing Corporation, FICC, provides central counterparty, CCP, services to members that participate in the U.S. government and mortgage-backed securities markets. Brief history lesson. I promise that it's relevant, and there's a link that provides all the info that follows. The DTC was created in 1973. It stemmed from the need for a centralized clearing company. 
Trading during the 60s went through the roof and resulted in many brokers having to quit before the day was finished so they could manually record their mountain of transactions. All of this was done on paper and each share certificate was physically delivered. This obviously resulted in many failures to deliver, FTD, due to the risk of human error in record keeping. In 1974, the Continuous Net Settlement System was launched to clear and settle trades using a rudimentary internet platform. In 1982, the DTC started using a book entry only, BEO, system to underwrite bonds. For the first time, there were no physical certificates that actually traded hands. Everything was now performed virtually through computers. Although this was advantageous for many reasons, it made it much easier to commit a certain type of securities fraud, naked shorting. One year later, they adopted NYSE Rule 387, which meant most securities transactions had to be completed using the new BEO computer system. Needless to say, explosive growth took place for the next five years. Pretty soon, other securities started utilizing the BEO system. It paved the way for growth in mutual funds and government securities, and even allowed for same-day settlement. At the time, the BEO system was a tremendous achievement. However, we were destined to hit a brick wall after that much growth in such a short time. By October 1987, that's exactly what happened. A quote. A number of explanations have been offered as to the cause of the crash. Among these are computer trading, derivative securities, illiquidity, trade and budget deficits, and overvaluation. End quote. If you're wondering where the birthplace of high-frequency trading, HFT, came from, look no further. The same machines that automated the exhaustively manual reconciliation process were also to blame for amplifying the fire sale of 1987. And here we have an excerpt from the University of Melbourne. Many analysts blame the use of computer trading, also known as program trading, by large institutional investing companies. In program trading, computers were programmed to automatically order large stock trades when certain market trends prevailed. However, the studies show that during the 1987 U.S. crash, other stock markets which did not use the program trading also crashed, some with losses even more severe than the U.S. market. The last sentence indicates a much more pervasive issue was at play here. The fact that we still have trouble explaining the calculus is even more alarming. The effects were so pervasive that it was dubbed the first global financial crisis. Here's another great summary published by the New York Times. To be fair to the computers, they were programmed by fallible people and trusted by people who did not understand the computer program's limitations. As computers came in, human judgment went out. Damned if that didn't give me goosebumps. Here's an extremely relevant explanation from Bruce Bartlett on the role of derivatives. Initial blame for the 1987 crash centered on the interplay between stock markets and index options and futures markets. In the former, People buy actual shares of stock. In the latter, they are only purchasing rights to buy or sell stocks at particular prices. Thus, options and futures are known as derivatives because their value derives from changes in stock prices even though no actual shares are owned. The failure of stock markets and derivative markets to operate in sync was the major factor behind the crash. 
Notice the last sentence. A major factor behind the crash was a disconnect between the price of stock and their corresponding derivatives. The value of any given stock should determine the derivative value of that stock. It should not be the other way around. This is an important concept to remember as it will be referenced throughout the post. In the off chance that the market did tank, they hoped they could contain their losses with portfolio insurance. Another article from the New York Times explains this in better detail. They would simply sell ever-increasing numbers of futures contracts, a process known as dynamic hedging. The short position in futures contracts would then offset the losses caused by falls in the stocks they owned. As computers dictated that more and more futures be sold, the buyers of those futures not only insisted on sharply lower prices, but also hedged their positions by selling the underlying stocks. That drove prices down further and produced more sell orders from the computers. Everyone would know the selling was not coming from anyone with inside information, so others would be willing to step in and buy to take advantage of bargains, or so it was believed. Anyone who did step in with a buy order quickly regretted the decision. A major disconnect occurred when these futures contracts were used to intentionally tank the value of the underlying stock. In a perfect world, organic growth would lead to an increase in value of the company, underlying stock. They could do this by selling more products, creating new technologies, breaking into new markets, etc. This would trigger an organic change in the derivatives value because investors would be, hopefully, more optimistic about the longevity of the company. It could go either way, but the point is still the same. This is the type of investing that most of us are familiar with, investing for a better future. I don't want to spend too much time on the crash of 1987. I just want to identify the factors that contributed to the crash and the role of the DTC as they transitioned from a manual to an automatic ledger system. The connection I really want to focus on is the enormous risk appetite these investors had. Think of how overconfident and greedy they must have been to put that much faith in a computer script. Either way, same problem still exists today. Finally, the comment by Bruce Bartlett regarding the mismatch investment strategies between stocks and options is crucial in painting the picture of today's market. Now, let's do a super brief walkthrough of the main parties within the DTC before opening this can of worms. I'm going to talk about three groups within the DTC. Issuers, Participants, and CD and Co. Issuers are companies that issue securities, stocks, while participants are the clearinghouses, brokers, and other financial institutions that can utilize those securities. CD and Co. is a subsidiary of the DTC, which holds the share certificates. Participants have much more control over the securities that are deposited from the issuer. Even though the issuer created those shares, Participants are in control when those shares hit the DTC's doorstep. The DTC transfers those shares into a holding account, CD and Co., and the participant just has to ask, May I have some pretty please with sugar on top? Now, where's that can of worms? Everything was relatively calm after the crash of 1987, until we hit 2003. The DTC started receiving several requests from issuers to pull their securities from the DTC's depository. I don't think the DTC was prepared for this because they didn't have a written policy to address it, let alone an official rule. Here's the half-assed response from the DTC. 
DTC has stated that, in its opinion, these issuers have no legal or beneficial interest in the securities they are requesting to be withdrawn from the DTC. Realizing the situation was heating up, the DTC proposed SR-DTC-2003-02. DTC's proposed rule change provides that upon receipt of a withdrawal request from an issuer, DTC will take the following actions. 1. DTC will issue an important notice notifying its participants of the receipt of the withdrawal request from the issuer and reminding participants that they can utilize DTC withdrawal procedures if they wish to withdraw their securities from DTC. And 2. DTC will process withdrawal requests submitted by participants in the ordinary course of business but will not effectuate withdrawals based upon a request from the issuer. Honestly, they were better off without the new proposal. It became an even bigger deal when word got out about the proposed rule change. Naturally, it triggered a tsunami of comment letters against the DTC's proposal. There was obviously something going on to cause that level of concern. Why did so many issuers want their deposits back? You ready for this shit? as outlined in the DTC's opening remarks. The description. Recently, a number of issuers of securities have independently requested that DTC withdraw from the depository all securities issued by them. Okay, see footnote number four is marked. As explained in further detail by many of the commenters opposing DTC's proposal, the issuers making these requests have alleged that their securities have been the target of manipulative short sellers. Uh, what? (laughs) Yeah, I'd be pretty pissed too. Have my shares deposited in a clearing company take advantage of their computerized trades just to get kicked to the curb with no way of getting my securities back? And then find out that the big dick participants at your fancy DTC party are literally short selling my shares without me knowing? That sound familiar, anyone? IDK about y'all, but this trust us with your shares BS is starting to sound like a major con. The DTC asked for feedback from all issuers and participants to gather a consensus before making a decision. Altogether, the DTC received 89 comment letters, a pretty big response. 47 of those letters opposed the rule change, while 35 were in favor. And here he includes some screenshots of people for and against the rules. Please feel free to look at those at your leisure. He had one note in reference to the comments made in favor of this change. All of the comments I checked were participants and classified as market makers and other major financial institutions. Go fucking figure. Here's the full list if you want to dig on your own. I realize there are advantages to paperless security transfers. However, it is exactly what Michael Sondow said in his comment letter above. We simply cannot trust the DTC to protect our interests when we don't have physical control of our assets. Several other participants, including Edward Jones, Ameritrade, Citibank, and Prudential, overwhelmingly favored this proposal. How can someone not acknowledge that the absence of physical shares only makes it easier for these people to manipulate the market? This rule change would allow these participants to continue doing this because it's extremely profitable to sell shares that don't exist or have not been collateralized. 
Furthermore, it's a win-win for them because it forces issuers to keep their deposits in the holding account of the DTC. Ever heard of the fractional reserve banking system? Sounds a lot like what the stock market has just become. Want proof of this market manipulation? Let's fact-check the claims from the opposition letters above. I'm only reporting a few of the time period we discussed, 2003-ish. This is just to validate their claims that some sketchy shit is going on. From UBS Securities, formerly UBS Warburg. Page 559, Short Sale Violation. Page 535, Overreporting of Short Interest Positions. Page 533, Failure to Report Short Sale Indicators, Incorrectly Reporting Long Sale Transactions as Short Sales. Number 2, from Merrill Lynch, the Professional Clearing Corporation. Page 158, Violation of Short Interest Reporting. RBC, Royal Bank of Canada. Page 550, Failure to Report Short Sale Transactions with Indicator. Page 507, Short Sale Violation. Page 426, Failure to Report Short Sale Modifier. Ironically, I picked these three because they were the first going down the line. I'm not sure how to be any more objective about this. Their entire FINRA report is littered with short sale violations. Before anyone asks, how do you know they aren't all like that? The answer is, I checked. If you get caught for a short sale violation, chances are you will always get caught for short sale violations. Why? Because it's more profitable to do it and get caught than it is to fix the problem. Want to know the second worst part? Several comment letters asked the DTC to investigate the claims of naked shorting before coming to a decision on the proposal. I never saw a document where they followed up on those requests. Now, want to know the worst part? Here's their conclusion. It is therefore ordered that the proposed rule change file number SRDTC 2003-02B and hereby is approved. The DTC passed that rule change. They not only prevented the issuers from removing their deposits, they also turned a blind eye to their participants' manipulative short selling, even when there's public evidence of them doing so. Those companies were being attacked with shares they put in the DTC by institutions they can't even identify. Let's take a quick breath and recap. The DTC started using a computerized ledger and was very successful through the 80s. This evolved into major trading systems that were also computerized, but not as sophisticated as they hoped. They played a major part in the 1987 crash, along with severely desynchronized derivatives trading. In 2003, the DTC denied issuers the right to withdraw their deposits because the securities were in the control of participants instead. When issuer A deposits stock into the DTC and participant B shorts those shares into the market, that's a form of rehypothecation. This is what so many issuers are trying to express in their comment letters. In addition, it hurts their company by driving down its value. They felt robbed because the DTC was blatantly allowing its participants to do this and refused to give them back their shares. It was critically important for me to paint this background. Now then. Remember when I mentioned the DTCs in Ruley, CD, and Co? I'll admit it, I didn't think they were that relevant. I focused so much on the DTC that I didn't think to check into their enrollee. Wish I did. And here's an excerpt from an article. 
It is not owned by the ostensible owners who, by virtue of having purchased shares in this or that company, are led to believe they actually own the shares. Technically, all they own are IOUs. The true ownership lies elsewhere. Nearly all publicly traded equities and a majority of bonds are owned by a little-known partnership, CD and Co., which is the nominee of the Depository Trust Co. For each security, CD and Co. owns a master certificate known as the Global Security, which never leaves its vault. Transactions are recorded as debits and credits to DTC member securities accounts, but the registered owner of the securities, CD and Co., remains the same. That's right. CD and Co. hold a master certificate in their vault, which never leaves. Instead, they issue an IOU for that master certificate. Didn't we just finish talking about why this is such a major flaw in our system? And that was almost 20 years ago. Here comes the mindfuck. From another article, when you buy a stock, you are actually purchasing a security that affords certain entitlement rights related to registered stock which actual owners hold. CD is a subsidiary of the Depository Trust Company, DTC, which is a subsidiary of the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, DTCC. And the DTCC is a private company owned by elite Wall Street firms and money center banks. Effectively, Wall Street elite firms and money center banks, not institutions and individual investors, own almost all of the registered shares of publicly traded companies in the U.S. While you may think you are buying registered stock, you are actually buying a financial derivative related to that stock. Effectively, you are buying a financial derivative from brokers of a financial derivative they hold from CD that is just a digital entry in your DTC account. Now, you want to know the best part? I found a list of all the DTC participants that are responsible for this mess. I've got your name, number, and I'm coming for you. All of you. To be continued. Diamond fucking hands. Well, Crayon Nation, that's been today's episode. We encourage you to go and read the comments on the original thread on Reddit written by you slash Atobit. That's you slash A-T-O-B-I-T-T. You can find a link to the original thread in the description of this episode. As always, be good to yourself, be good to others, and be good to the world around you. Your hosts have been me, Pickle Rick, Wipe with Wipes, Scalpel User, Rick the Poet, who also did our theme music, and Mid-Century Birdhouse. We'll see you next time.